listening to episode 46, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Emma Einson. The Reverend Dr. Emma Einson is Bishop of Penrith. She was formerly principal of Trinity College, Bristol, where she taught practical theology and spirituality and chaplain at the Lee Abbey community. These roles have helped her understand and appreciate the breadth and depth of the church and, being married to a vicar, she has seen firsthand both the joys and challenges of parish ministry on the ground. What are you doing on a daily basis to cultivate your desires and make sure they are motivated by the kingdom of God? Whether we know it or not, Our desires are what really drive our daily lives. And the scary thing is, most of us are completely unaware of the desires that are driving us. We think we are making decisions and taking actions based on pure logic. But our habits speak louder than words. We may profess to wanting to see more people in our churches, but the actions we take tell a different story about what we truly want. The good news is, that knowing our desires and recognizing the habits that form them give us tools for changing what drives us. Because if we are not living the lives we say we want, we may have unknown desires that outweigh the known. That's why in this chapter, Bishop Emma helps us understand how our desires drive our actions and why counting stuff isn't a terrible idea. So how does this work when it comes to our vocations? Because if we, if, if ambition's a good thing, if, if motivated by the kingdom of God, um, then that means, again, we, we all have some sort of vocational callings, which means we can pursue that vocation with a, a good ambition, can we not? Yeah, absolutely. And it's about, um, I mean, I think the key for me really is what you just said about the kingdom of God. So if that is our framing narrative and one of the things I do in the book is to take a bit of a look. I mean, it's kind of based on some writing from Tom Wright, but to um, say, well, how did Jesus disciple his disciple, you know, his followers? What did he do with them? And he kind of, he took them through life with him and he showed them things and he taught them things and he told them stories and they were based on everyday things like, you know, pearls and um lost sons lost uh, sheep you know they they were it was everyday stuff and it was through living life with him that the desires of the disciples began to be more kingdom shaped and they didn't get it you know they were very slow learners they kind of he had to keep going on about it and saying look you didn't get it but let me go through this again this is what the kingdom looks like and it was that kind of daily life that day, those daily habits living life with Jesus that formed them into citizens of the kingdom or people who naturally desired the things of the kingdom. And I think it's the same with us. I think whatever God calls us to do, I mean, a kingdom vision is a wide vision. It's it's not just about what God can do through churches. I mean, it, it's about what God does in the whole of culture, the whole of society. Um, and God needs Christians to be out there being Christian, being kingdom shaped in in all of that stuff in order to bring um, his kingdom into those places. So 
I think it's the same with us as he was with his disciples, really. It's just, well, live life with me, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, whether you're um, a church minister, whether you're a parent in the home, uh, live like life with me, do life with me, listen to me, and allow the things that I hold to be important to shape your desires. I mean, I think we have, it's it's a kind of Augustinian idea that we are creatures of desire we all desire something and if we're not locating our desires in the direction of god and his kingdom they'll be located towards something else and we will pursue other things maybe status maybe fame maybe money whatever um so it's about how do we how do we allow our desires to be shaped in a kingdom direction day by day and for me that's what vocation is you know so i have a daughter who's a teacher you know how does she turn up in the school in the classroom every day and think right in this day i'm going to um teach in a kingdom shaped way i'm going to allow the character of christ to come out in what i'm doing and for me that's a really exciting way of seeing vocation um it's a very broad way of seeing vocation it's it's living as a disciple as a citizen of the kingdom mm-hmm yeah, I love that emphasis on on desire. You're you're uh, you talk about it in the book and referring to uh, James K. Smith's work yeah. on the uh, this idea that uh, um, he he sort of deconstructs this idea that we are just uh, he says thinking thingism, like we're just primarily thinking things, and so instead yeah. that our desires are the things that are really leading our hearts here. Um, is uh, so how how do we make sure our desires, I guess, are are put onto the kingdom then like I'm trying to because I'm struggling with this myself I, I I think like this has been an important part of of my development because at least recognizing that our desire is pulling us towards something like recognizing that that exists allows us it's sort of like habit formation which goes a lot yep. a lot with his um his book like just recognizing that we have a bad habit in a certain place allows us the opportunity to change that habit and so I feel like it's the same way with desire. Just knowing that our desires are being pulled in one direction allows us to redirect those desires, uh, you know, towards the kingdom of God. Um, how do you go about thinking about, I guess, habit formation and then changing over those uh, desires to be pulled towards the kingdom of God? Mm. Well, James K. Smith would say, I think, that you start with the habits. So you start with the practices. And it's through changing the practices that that comes to change your heart. It changes what he calls your dispositions. So you, mm-hmm. you begin, the more you, it's like muscle memory. You know, if you kind of, um, if you if you place your fingers as if you want to type on a computer keyboard, you know, even if you don't have a keyboard there, you can kind of imagine where the E key is and the Q key is and the W key is because you've placed your fingers there so many times. And I think he would say that that's what you do in the spiritual life. You know, you just keep placing yourself in the place where these dispositions so can be developed. So back to what we said earlier about disciplines of prayer, of quiet, of uh, sharing with others, of breaking bread together. You know, th- these are not, these are not just, they are not just rituals. They are rituals. But if we allow them, they will shape who we are, who our character is. I mean, I've been thinking recently about we, we've all got so good now, haven't we, at washing our hands. The, the kind of coronavirus has made us experts in, in hand washing. And I, I that will change something about us. You know, I will forever wash my hands better than I did before. Um, 
and that's a really you know a kind of banal example but if if i get it, it just shows how easily we can change our practices if we need to and, mm-hmm. and we've needed to because we've needed to know that we need to be safe from this disease so you know imagine if our souls need to be safe from the disease of sin and so we need yeah. practices that will help us to live better within that then then we can do that but we need each other for that yeah that see <laughs> Knowing the stakes really does put that in perspective, doesn't it? Because again, we know, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, in the 1800s, you know, surgeons didn't wash their hands or whatever, and a lot of people died. But like, now we have, it's really real to us today. And um, so, yeah, anyway, um, I'll leave that. Um, (laughs) Another reflection. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I, I can keep going. (laughs) Um, I want to talk to you about, since we're talking about this whole coronavirus thing, you know, crisis that's going on. It's brought up another idea that your book hits on that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And that's this idea of counting things. Yeah. Like, um, it, 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 it occurs to me, right? Like the American economy and and I guess the world economy is built on this idea that growth has to happen. Like literally if we're not growing, then by definition we're in a recession and everything is sort of, you know, falling apart. Yeah. And, um, Again, I don't know an answer to that, but it just seems that this idea of constantly seeking or needing some kind of growth doesn't quite align with the Christian virtues of being content with what we have. And, you know, is there is there such a thing as getting to a place where we have enough and then not just seeking more and more and more and more? Um, how does that come into play when we're talking about this idea of ambition and uh, leadership as as Christians, and we seek that. Can we get to a place where there's enough? And <laughs> yeah, this whole question of growth again. I think this is one of those concepts that we need to shine some light on and pick apart and say what's the God stuff in this and what's the stuff we want to leave behind. So, on the one hand, I agree with what you're saying. I think um, you know the inexorable quest for growth. Um, is not always healthy, whether that's in the church or whether that's in the economy or um, whether that's in just the culture that we have that always causes us to compare ourselves with the last thing or the other person. Um, that kind of anxious growth, we probably want to say, no, we're, we're not going to have a part of that. However, there is an inherent sense of growth i think in the kingdom you know a lot of the images that god uses for the kingdom uh, that jesus uses for the kingdom of god are to do with growth you know they're to do with trees and mustard seeds and um you know he talks about the kingdom as being something that will grow and that will enlarge so i wouldn't want i don't want to say oh well it's fine you know all christians we just need to sit there and have a cup of tea uh, that's if you're english that's what we do but um, you know there, there is a sense of we do need to count things we do need to measure things and again it comes back to motivation you know it's why are we counting things and in my book i've got i think it's four bad reasons for counting things and four good reasons for counting things and some of the good reasons include things like, well, if we, we need to count things because we need to know where we are, you know, leaders need to bring a sense of reality to a situation and say, well, we did used to have this much stuff and now we've got this much stuff and this is how we might change that. You know, so there is the facts are our friends and we do need to count things. Um, God counts things. You know, it's really interesting if you look at counting in scripture, 
there's a lot of it going on. You know, there's even a book called Numbers. So, you know, God, God does a lot of counting things. And it's really interesting that, that at the end of time, you know, in Revelation, when it describes um, before the throne of the Lamb will be a crowd that no one can count. And I love that. It's like God has said, at the end of time, there's an end to counting. Everyone will be gathered in and we don't need to count anymore. So again, it's it's looking at, it's kind of reflecting theologically on our, our motivations for seeking growth. You know, one of the things I, I'm reminded of in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, we read that uh, Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God provided the growth. And I think so often we, we get focused on making sure that we're growing and that we, we take the responsibility for our growth on ourselves rather than allowing God to be the one to provide the growth. And if we, when we do that, uh, I think we take the place of God in our own lives. We're doing it probably out of a fear that we're not going to measure up, uh, a need to compare ourselves with somebody else. We need to be growing. Uh, but if we, if we can step back and allow God to be the one who grows us in his timing and according to the way that he's designed us to, to be as uh, a created being, uh, then I think we find that growth happens uh, just as it's intended to happen. And uh, going back to our, our discussion about excellence, when we, when we allow that to happen, it's an excellent thing. And uh, by all means, yeah, count so that we know where we're at because we, we have a responsibility to, to know ourselves and to evaluate ourselves and to um, pursue excellence in the, in the uh, formation of our characters into into Christ. Uh, but for me, the temptation is always to get hung up on making sure that I grow rather than allowing that to, to be God's responsibility. And uh, like you've mentioned, stay close in relationship with him. And over time, like we saw in the lives of the disciples, allow him to grow and change their characters through that relationship. I think that's, that's absolutely right. And it's, it's keeping God on the throne rather than ourselves so paul says i can't remember exactly where it is but paul says um you know i think it's one it's in corinthians we shouldn't judge each other and he says i don't even judge myself it's like god is the judge i allow god to be the agent in all of these things and i I think it's the same with growth and counting we we must allow god to be sovereign in those things so I think there, I talk in the book that there are two doctrines that really stop us um, putting ourselves on the throne of this. And one is is this idea, the, the idea that Jesus will return and, and until then our work is not done. So there's always a kind of provisionality and an unfinishedness about our work. That means we can't measure things in time terms. You know, it, there will always be the eternal perspective that will stop us nailing it down to too closely and then the other doctrine is is the doctrine of grace that we can never um it's not a transactional operation with grace we can never earn our salvation we can never do enough you know jesus has done all that is needed for us so there are some sort of key doctrines right at the heart of the christian faith that that stop us stop us um having a kind of simple human economic model when we look at growth and um, counting things that I think that certainly for leaders, we, we need to keep going back to those things and keep humbling ourselves. We all have habits, whether we're aware of them or not. We like to do things in certain ways. We even do things like driving to work without even consciously thinking about how we're actually getting there. 
But if we pay attention to these habits and work to make them healthy, we can begin to grow in our identity as a child of God. And when we live in that place of identity, our ambition and drive for success becomes the healthy thing that Emma has been describing this week. There are a few things we need to consider, though, when we take on this work of understanding our motives, identity, and ambition. First, we need to remember that growth is not something to be forced, and it shouldn't be filled with an anxious drive to always be better. Growth is a gift of God that comes from His work in our lives and our cooperation with Him. Second, we need to understand that our daily habits play a vital role in our formation as Christians. These habits are the everyday moments of life that we focus on at Daily Growth Discipleship. They make up the majority of the life that we live, and so have the most bearing on the kind of people we are. So I want to challenge you to take some time today and evaluate the habits you have in your life. Write out a plan for making those habits beneficial for growth. It's important as you do this, though, not to make an effort just to stop doing bad habits. Research shows that we can never get rid of habits. Instead, we can only replace them with new ones. So as you make a plan, work to create new healthy habits and make that your focus. And as you do this work with God, you'll find that the growth comes naturally over time. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Emma's work, check out her book, Ambition, What Jesus Said About Power, Success, and Counting Stuff. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Emma unpacks the key spiritual dispositions for ambitious people. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.